This episode of POMCAST is sponsored by Yarn in the City. Yarn in the City creates experiential, yarn-centric events for knitters and makers, designed to bring people together through a shared love of craft. Yarn in the City organises the annual Great London Yarn Crawl, taking place this year on Saturday the 5th of September. This year's Yarn Crawl will also feature an edition of a one-day pop-up marketplace, taking place at Chelsea Old Town Hall, featuring over 30 vendors from London and around the UK. To top off the weekend, on Sunday 6th of September, Yarn in the City will be hosting pattern designer and technical editor Kate Atherley for two workshops in central London. Tickets go on sale Wednesday 1st of July. Hi and welcome to POMCAST, the podcast that accompanies Pom Pom Magazine. I'm Sophie Scott and I'm joined as ever by the lovely Lydia Gluck. Hello! Hi! How are you? I'm very well, thank you Sophie. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking me so politely. That was really nice. Well, you know, although we're friends, Sophie, I feel we need to maintain a certain distance. (laughs) So I just thought I'd... Well, we have. I don't know what you guys think. We are like hanging out every week or every day. I haven't actually seen Lydia in about a month. Like, well, we caught up at the weekend to sort of finalised plans for this podcast but yeah I haven't seen you in ages I know it's felt like a long long time <laughs> you're gonna say I know anyway <laughs> so what have you been doing well as uh some listeners may know I've been in uh America went to TNNA which was very exciting me and Megan were there uh with our pom-pom stand which had bananas pom-pom bananas so we gave away bananas which had um cool pom-pom stickers on them and so I'll put a picture of that up on the on the blog. Um, so we were not only um, giving people things that said pom-pom on them, but giving people healthy snacks. Because, you know, at shows like that, everybody gives away sweets, which is great because everybody loves sweets. But there comes a point when you're like, I can't eat any more sweets. And that's when you think, I'll have a pom-pom banana. And so they went down good. well? They went down very well. Why wouldn't they? <laughs> exactly. Except for the one woman who was pregnant and couldn't bear the smell of bananas. Oh, gosh. But I felt bad for her. I'd created a sort of hell for her <laughs> in TNA. Everyone was walking around, like, eating bananas, and she's like, why? <laughs> so, yeah, so TNA was awesome. Um, caught up with loads of people, and uh, Columbus is a very nice place. Mm-hmm. There's delicious ice cream. So we had delicious ice cream, went to the North Market, had donuts for breakfast, more than once. You said that you now understand donuts. You understand why Homer loves donuts so much. Yeah, because I think, (laughs) I don't know, I think most British people might agree with me on this, because donuts that you get in the UK are pretty bad. Yeah, because when you, I think of donuts, I kind of think like quite a cakey, dry thing. With like bad jam. With, oh, uh, yeah, kind of like plastic jam. Like, yeah, like mm, bad jam. Bad jam. (laughs) Yeah, whereas um, in the North Market in Columbus, there was like, you know, a kind of um, booth that mm-hmm. sold donuts, like really amazing fresh donuts. And there was sort of like a very curated collection, you know, there's like artisan. six to eight artisan. Well yeah. done. Sophie knows words. <laughs> More coming up. <laughs> words. No. Um, so, yeah, there was all these tasty flavours. Megan had chocolate and bacon. Whoa. Which she enjoyed. This I chose... is very Homer-esque. <laughs> I chose not to have chocolate and bacon, partially because I don't eat bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had raspberry and rosemary. And it was delicious. delicious. And it was pink. Mm-hmm. Which was also good. Very good. Well, you should always match your donuts to your life. Colour preference, Colour yes. preference. Exactly. <laughs> um, so overall, the donuts were great. That was a good experience. And then I went, we went to New York and did a trunk show at Brooklyn General. Nice, Which yeah. was awesome. We had a really nice time. They made the sangria from the most recent issue. 
Very, good start to any evening. Well, exactly. And there were amazing cookies that were like all in fun shapes and brightly coloured. And yeah, we had a really, really nice time. Um, And thank you to everybody who came uh, to visit us. It was so nice to meet everybody. And thanks again to Brooklyn General, of course, who were amazing. And then afterwards we went and like had some food and watched some music. And so that was great. And also got to look around New York. was my first time there. Yeah. Went to the Museum of Modern Art. Mm -hmm. Saw the Bjork exhibition. Oh, nice. Which was very strange, but very good. It was a, like, like, the, like Bjork in many ways. Yes, exactly. There was a really cool, at the beginning, there was like an immersive music video experience with kind of speakers all around you. So the sound was coming from all different directions. Oh, wow. And um, the music video had been commissioned by MoMA. So I think now it's been released, but before that, only people who had been to the exhibition had seen it. It was really amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could go on. I shan't. <laughs> there was too many things but yeah I had a really good time I feel we've got a lot to catch up on this podcast because we haven't seen each other and then also we've been cramming in all the things in between this podcast <laughs> so I feel like we're all obviously referencing things like oh and I did that and did I talk to you about that I'd and be like no guys we need to tell you about this yeah <laughs> so there's a lot to get through so Sophie how about you how's the last month been pretty awesome I went to Ireland for a weekend wow and uh, I didn't know that yeah <laughs> Did you not? No. Okay, I went to Ireland. It's like cool. an 80th birthday party for like a friend of my boyfriend's family. Awesome. And um, yeah, it was great. Like everyone was really, really kind and lovely. And it was partly to celebrate this uh, cottage that he'd like found when he was walking. I think he was like 20 something with his friend. And they were like, let's buy this cottage. It's really dilapidated. Uh, like, let's build it to like glory. And mm. he also set up like an eco village in the like, t- well, the village next to where they were. And the place where we were was like very far on the west coast, like a tiny peninsula. So officially the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. where we were and on a massive beach. And it was it was amazing. It was like the most beautiful place and mm-hmm. only rained a little bit. And we went for like a big hike, which I loved. And yeah, and everyone played like professionally. Like music, so like big musical. I think I've mentioned this before. Like mm-hmm. my boyfriend's family are like very musical. So everyone there was musical as well. And the kind of the icebreaker for most people was like, oh, what do you play? And I was like, the fool. The knitting needles. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I brought uh, my Fika socks along with me for the journey. I was like, we've talked about the amazing portability of socks. And I was like, I'll take this. And it was one of those parties where it's like starts at lunchtime and it goes on to like the wee hours. Mm-hmm. So there was kind of like lots of sitting around talking to people. There's about 300 people at this party. And uh, so I just like was doing my knitting and then like, in the next 10 minutes, there was about eight people around me who were like, tell me about your knitting. What are you doing? Wish I bought mine. And it was like oh. so lovely to like, as an icebreaker where you kind of know only four people at this massive mm-hmm. party to kind of, uh, yeah, introduce everyone to you and your other people. It's, it's, it was great. Knitting is a power for good. Yes. In so, so many ways. The other place I took to my Fika socks to, which is my important thing that I have to talk to you and everyone else about, is Mad Max. Have you seen Mad Max yet? I haven't, no. But Megan has. my gosh. So it was good. So good. Like, I was trying to explain how good it was to my mum when I was saying, you have to see this film. You know when, like, people say to you, like, you have to see this film. You have to see this film. I was like, no, 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 you have to. And she's like, was it like when you told me to see Guardians of the Galaxy? And I was like, meh. And I was like, okay. So after I finished watching Guardians of the Galaxy, I was like, turned to the person I was with, like, oh, that was good. After I finished watching Mad Max, I was like, I was actually punching the air in, like, victory and joy at how awesome the experience I just had was. Wow. Yeah. That reminds me that I went to a show on Broadway. Oh, great. Sorry, see, carry on with your things. story first. This is all the things. <laughs> but no, but you've got to understand Mad Max. I will. I'll go see it. All right. So I, maybe... 
people who think, ah, oh, I'm not really into an action kind of driving film, which is what it is. Yeah. The most important fact of it is that I think it completely redefines a woman's role within an action movie. It's, like, super feminist as well and, like, really kick-ass. And Charlize Theron... Oh, God. Amazing. She's got, like, a cool robot hand in it as well. Ooh. And there's one bit... This isn't a spoiler in any way. This is, like, the most tiny fragment of the mm. thing. She, like, puts takes some, like, axle grease off the wheel and, like, smears it on her forehead. And it's just the most badass scene. I've ever, <laughs> I don't know why. So, and I actually tried to start knitting. So this is, like, a whole, like... We're going to be, like, mixing around in the podcast. I think we're going to be referencing a lot of different yeah. areas. But I thought I'd take my knitting to the cinema because I was like, mm, maybe I'll enjoy this film, but I can always knit in it. And ten minutes... No, not even that. Ten seconds into it, I knew I couldn't knit because it was so intense. <laughs> but I thought I got my knitting out and then the second that happened... My ball just rolled away from me, <laughs> down the aisles, into a thousand seats, into the past of the, <laughs> the space. I was like, oh crap, and I was like, what am I going to do? So I ended up basically winding the ball from where it was on my knitting. And basically wherever the ball had trailed to, it was just getting smaller and smaller. Because I was just basically <laughs> pulling it through the entire the cinema. And all I kept thinking was like, oh, there's so many gross things on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like mm, popcorn and yeah literally drinks. I just imagined this little travelling thing that my yeah. ball was going on like <laughs> but basically and then I wound it all round back to my fingers and then I was like I'm gonna put this thing down the moral of the story is do go see Mad Max don't expect to be able to knit yes and there's also a cool like old lady who has seeds in her bag it's, oh, that's a, Joe yeah. was like my boyfriend was like oh, that's who you'd be if you were an old lady in the apocalypse and I was like yeah <laughs> Anyway, so Broadway. I hear so that's I saw good. a show on Broadway. Um, me and Megan went to see Hedwig and the Angry Inch, which is a musical, and it had a person in it who was in Glee, whose name now escapes me. Darren Chris, something like that. Anyway, it's mm. basically a one-man show, one-person show, more accurately, and he plays this one character. There's a few other people in there. It's an amazing band. Anyway, Hedwig and the Angry Inch was made into a film, I think, in yes, like, the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, which I love. I love that film. So I was very, very excited to see it on Broadway. And I loved it so much. Had the best time. I think I cried through the last song. Oh, wow. It was great. Yeah. I don't have much else, more else to say about it, really. Just That's... that it was really super great. Yeah. I think we've been feeling a lot of intense emotions this past month. Also, we yeah. just went and got smoothies before we recorded this podcast. I feel I think the fruit sugar's done a lot for our emotions <laughs> at the of this podcast. Well, what have you guys been up to? You guys have been talking on our Ravelry forums, which, of course, we'd love to hear you, see you type yeah. to you there. Like knowing you're there. It's kind of, we've basically started the Pomcast movie club, I think, because yeah. I was talking about Blade Runner and then there's been this whole influx of 80s films where people are like, oh my god, have you seen this? Have you yeah. seen this? So we've had um, Kilda Craft is saying Splash and Big are two of her top mm-hmm. picks. Neither of which I've seen. Oh, I love those. They're, they're really, if you like Tom Hanks, and who doesn't? He's such a charming... Oh, <laughs> you're just doing a weird face now. <laughs> Can't remember which one he is. <laughs> He's Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. Anyway, carry on. Carry on. So you love him, yeah? See, I'm bad at films. <laughs> <laughs> and Gemma V, Gemma V, mm-hmm. says Princess B- Bride. Mm-hmm. Classic. You, you, I know you love that. Yeah. And I Was, which we know stands for Irish Water Spaniel, which is the picture in oh, her yeah. mouth. Picture now. So it's Footloose. I have seen that, but not for a long, long time. Okay, I was singing it a lot to our producer just now, and he was enjoying <laughs> that. Somebody else, I can't remember who it was, said Harold Maud. Yes. Is yeah. that an 80s film? Apparently so. Well, it's, it's within this like, it is. film appreciation. I love that film. That was one of the few from the list that I've seen, and it's definitely one of my yeah. favourites. And also, Tafé Olé, which is a great Rav name, by the mm-hmm. way, she says, um, it's an urban myth, possibly, but she says Port Talbot in Wales, which is where she's 
from or mm-hmm. living. Um, inspired Blade Runner, apparently. Which I was interested to hear because I grew up in Swansea, which is the next stop down on the train from Portalbert, and I have many, many memories as a teenager going through Portalbert at night mm-hmm. when there's like all this steam and light coming out of the. I think they're steelworks. I could be wrong, but some kind of like big industrial kind of factory thing happening there. And at night, yeah, there's just like all this smoke coming out, and it does look pretty kind of a post-apocalyptic at nighttime. Wow. <laughs> so I haven't seen Blade Runner, but I'll watch it, yep. and then I'll be able to. We'll be able to discuss this more at yeah, the yeah, next yeah. Pompcast Movie Club. And I still need to watch Ghostbusters, but you know, we'll talk about that. Next. We'll get there. Anyway, we'll so there. knitting—that's kind of what we talk about knitting, as well. Knitting—that's where we were getting to. So we've talked about TNA and general New York fun, mm-hmm. but another thing we're at uh, more bit. closer to home was uh, the Muse Connection yeah yeah so um, the Muse Connection uh, which is a kind of small scale but like very intimate but very lovely um, event that's put on by Playful Day podcast Mm -hmm. and Curious Handmade podcast their second one was on Sunday and both me and Sophie were there Mm -hmm. and uh, they were very sweet and had asked me to talk so I did a little talk about starting Pom Pom and I just pulled faces at her from across the room (laughs) no I didn't I didn't (laughs) no Um, yeah, so the, their theme was beginnings, and so I spoke a little bit about that, and it was very lovely. Rachel Coopy was there. She talked also. about, yeah, her advice was basically just cast on all the things, knit all the things, and good things will happen. Yeah. It was her nice good. kind of philosophy saying there's very few things in the world where you can, like with yarn, you can unwind it, rewash it, ball it up, even put the label back on, and it will kind of pretty much look the same as when you started. Yeah. And she's like, let that kind of open your... Free, you know, let's not stop you kind of doing stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, no, I found that very, very useful and inspiring. Freeing yeah, and inspiring. Exactly. Yeah, because she was saying that she also collects notebooks, which is something I do too. And you can't undo it once you've written in a notebook True. the same way you can undo it if you, you know, do a few stitches and you're like, oh, I don't like this. You can really easily... Mm-hmm. Don't get overwhelmed by the potential of yarn. That's what I want to say. Oh, That's yes. the sound bite. There we yes. go. <laughs> so that was awesome. So thanks again to the Muse Connection people. Mm-hmm. We had a real nice time. Yeah. Awesome. So, knitting-based things. What mm-hmm. have you been knitting? Tell and tell. Well... We tell uh, each other. And you guys about our knits. I feel like I have to get the catchphrase in. Yeah, tell and tell. So, um, I have finished my Delita shawl, which I was making with the Shibui and yeah. the unicorn tail in the neon peach. I haven't blocked it yet, but it, I finished it last night, in fact. Oh my god. Just like fresh off the needles. <laughs> Were you like, gotta finish it for the podcast? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, Nice. Like, fresh off the boat, that's what they say, isn't it, when people have just arrived in a country? Yes. That's what my uh, shawl is in the country of finished objects. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to block it tonight. Um, so that's very, very exciting. It is. I'm still knitting my Greco. Oh, yeah, um, your which took a bit of a summary top. Yes, exactly. And I'm getting really, like, so many people have posted amazing finished Greco, mm. like, uh, projects on our Ravelry group so you guys should take a look if you haven't already there's so many great colour combinations and lots of people have gone with the classic one that we went with which I can totally understand because it's a real classic classic. mine's pink and grey which is awesome and actually my Delita shawl is also pink and grey you're going through theme here yeah (laughs) it's obviously my phase at the moment um and I did start a garland jumper from winter issue seven that is it's winter i'm thinking back that looks that's like a mohairy yeah it's on vibe. The cover. yes mm-hmm. very nice. the original is like mint green you're testing me i've <laughs> i've wanted to make it you know for i guess almost two years or something now and i bought some beautiful um mohair at brooklyn general when i was in new york so that's uh I literally have just cast on, though. That's that's as far as that's going. That's How about good. you? I've been having all the knitting disasters. Aww. But 
I'm kind of powering through them in like a blind kind of must finish it even though it's going really weird. So my susu, which I've been doing susu. for a while, taking so so long <laughs> and I had so so many mistakes and it's just like freaking susu. <laughs> What's going on? Like cables being crossed the wrong way and then like decreases just going up the wazoo. I don't know. <laughs> and then I even like was like, is my gauge wrong? Is this going to be like, it's pretty oversized anyway. Yeah. But now I think it's going to be like really even too big and then like someone I was working with they were like oh just look a bit loose and I was like oh Christ and I've nearly finished the back as I've finished the back nearly finished the front so I've only got like sleeves and a little bit of front to go and I'm just kind of yeah it's got to power through and I even thought like I'll get it finished for when we record the next podcast and I'll have this whole happy story of how I finished it but it's not there yet you know I do these things so you guys can like hear about it and <laughs> sympathize and then my Fika socks which are also going great yeah Thought I was going to finish them for this podcast. I even said to you, we've even gotten the notes here, like Fika socks done <laughs> in my notes. So so optimistic. Not even happened. And then I th- like the stupidest and weirdest thing that I've ever done on a pair of socks, which I think is kind of related to when I was trying to knit them at Mad Max and something went wrong. Mm. So rather, when I've decreased for the toe, rather than the decreases kind of lining up like each side of mm-hmm. my foot, so like along the big toe and along the little toe, mm-hmm. they're basically in the middle of my foot. Right. And I've yeah. got like a really like wacky angle, like I'm kind of t- curling my toes <laughs> at one side, like, <laughs> and I kind of put it on and I was like, why doesn't this quite feel comfortable? Because you're kind of all trying to shift the sock ground. I mean, in the scheme of things, it's just ripping back a toe and, like, yeah. figuring out why I did my deep. But in addition to your susu worries. Yeah, it it's just like I'm not having a good knit vibe at the moment. Like, nothing... Yeah. It's kind of getting there, but it's not really that flow when you yeah. have that meditative state. It happens. This happens. Yeah. This happened to me with my Greco because I just wasn't paying attention, basically, and I just started knitting the back as if I was knitting the front mm. and didn't really... I was like, oh, instructions! Effort! <laughs> People, not me. I already read the instructions. I understand them. And then I got like halfway up the back and was like, okay, I really did not read. I was just like reading the wrong bit of the pattern. I was just like, come on, Lydia. Yeah, so I had to rip that back, which is one of the reasons that it's not anywhere near yeah. done. Because Greco is tiny as well. Like, it's not a big thing at all. Um, yeah, so that'll teach me to not read my patterns properly. Yeah, I feel like we have to show both sides of the knitting story. Exactly. Like, hey, I finished this cool thing. It was awesome. We also have to have the... <laughs> What's the like? What have I made? Bad knitting. Yeah. Well, not bad knitting, but yeah, it's quite easy to lose concentration, especially when you're trying to do things at the same time as other things. Yeah. Which is like I'm normally at like, least listening to something or watching a thing. I'm meant to breathe. Yeah, wow. trying to breathe and knit at the same time. All right. Difficult. Well, we hope all your knitting projects are going much smoother than <laughs> any <us>. of mine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and remember that we love to see um, see you posting about them in our threads on the Ravelry forums. We mm. have. Uh, a knit along a, yeah. a pretty much permanent knit along basically yeah. so we've got our summer knit along at the moment so you can check that out and see all the lovely things people are making and maybe post your own lovely things excellent we look forward to it Our book for review today is The Colouring Book by Lee Meredith and it's a very exciting book because it seems to combine knitting patterns with a colouring book and everybody <laughs> likes colouring books, let's exactly. be honest. True. Um, Sophie is more familiar with the book than I am so I'm going to interview her. I did all my homework. Sophie did all her homework. <laughs> Sophie gets three gold stars 
I get no gold stars <laughs> and no sweeties. <laughs> but I do get to ask Sophie questions and learn about the book. So, um, tell me uh, the kind of main feel of the book. So it's part of a collaboration with Marabrigo Yarns that Lee Meredith has done uh, for the Malabrigo Freelance Project. Ooh. So if you know Lee Meredith's designs already, I don't know if you do. I am familiar with some. Yeah, for those of you who aren't, she does a lot of she does a lot of fun stuff with like knitting. If you're watching a film, and then you can like change the stripe sequence depending on what happens in the film. You can do like knit alongs with like TV shows, or you like mm-hmm. roll dice. And she's very clever, like playing with the colors and textures of what you can do in knitting. I think that kind of comes across a lot in this book because mm-hmm. there's patterns based, uh, pattern based knitting, but also there's sort of a lot of technique based uh, tips for when you're working with color. Oh, nice. Okay. So what kind of techniques are we talking, Sophie? So kind of things to make your projects go smoothly. So, mm. like I said, there's a lot of colour work in there, but it's not like uber technical things like, you know, colour work or intarsia. Like a lot of the projects, you're just working one colour at a time or, mm-hmm. like, you know, one colour in each row. And there's a lot of kind of tips for like to keep your back sides neat. Not- oh, okay. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tip for everyone, keep your back side neat. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sophie, come Your on. wrong side work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so there's less finishing to do and things like that. And the techniques I thought was a really good point that's for left and right-handed knitters. So if you knit oh. continental and there's like loads of clear photos, you're taking the time to kind of like break everything down like really uh, easily mm-hmm. so you can kind of adapt it to your style. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. That sounds good. And, and actually, I remember when I learned to knit continental style, the things I found most difficult wasn't knitting and purling. It was more like things like knitting two together and like mm. a bunch. So it was really nice that she's kind of laid that out for people Definitely, yeah. and not just for people who've just learned that technique but just yeah it i think different. it's it's good if you want to sort of yeah it's sort of like a addition to other techniques you might know about like working with knitting so it's mm-hmm. like a more color based kind of thing and there's patterns as well as well as these techniques um for like small projects for trying out these and also one of the nice things it's not um too rigid and what yarns you use and stuff like that you can lead you to more experiment experimentation because i think that's kind of her vibe anyway yeah. for like her patterns um, so you can use different weights, different number of colours, and the, like the sizes of guidelines, sorts of stuff, which are quite variable. Like you can make a blanket or a headscarf. You know, there's mm-hmm. two like mm-hmm. sizing things within that, so you can play around with. That sounds very exciting. And where does the colouring book element come so, in? So there's a really cool bit at the back where she has like blank chart drawing spaces for okay. like planning your colour combos. <gasps> So, oh, that um, so good. she says you can like photocopy it and then like colour and be like, oh, maybe I'll use these green together. So it's good actually for using scraps. Yeah, and you can kind of play around with that. Um, so, do you do have any uh, any particular favourite patterns from the book? Yeah, so there's the misanga. I think mm-hmm. I pronounce it like that mm-hmm. hat, um, which is like for the super variegated yarns. It's kind of interesting. She talks about using to so the the length of the colour repeat in mm-hmm. the yarn. She kind of talks about how you'd use that to its best advantage. Okay, because uh, sometimes you get those yarns which are like crazy beautiful in the skein, and then you knit them up, and it's like, hmm. This is a bit too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also um, the colour by number thing, when we're talking about like the little charts, um, that's for like a cowl or a mitt or a blanket or whatever. And that's again sort of using that kind of quite liberal sizing thing she's got going on so mm-hmm. you can choose how you want to interpret these patterns and projects. And there's also a great one, which is a plaid cowl. No, it's plaid. I think plaid. I'm sorry, we're English, so we can't... The word plaid is confusing no. to us. I feel like I'm, I can hear Megan's voice in my head saying played. I'm pretty sure it's plaid. Okay, God. Sorry if we're wrong. If I'm, I'll take the fall. That thing that kind of looks like tartan. Yeah. Tartan <laughs> style. Um, yeah. 
she's got a cow there, but I think it's interesting. You could do that something like a really nice kind of squidgy blanket using that technique as well. Ooh. So yeah, lots of things to have a little look at. Awesome. So yeah, so you guys should check it out and obviously we'll post links for how to look it up, look the book up online, um, but I'm sure you can find it through Rav. It's called Colouring Book and by Lee Meredith. So check it out. away. Are you so happy? <laughs> So today we're joined by Felicity Ford, also known as Felix, uh, more commonly known as Knit Sonic, who is a knitter, podcaster and sound artist. And we thought this was pretty interesting, so uh, we gave uh, Felix a call. And here you are today. Thanks for joining us. Hello, it's very nice to be on the podcast. Excellent. Thank you. All right, we're going to start with our classic question, which is what is your early memories of knitting and uh, when did you learn? Well, I think like a lot of people, my gran taught me and I have a memory of making a very uh, trapezoid shaped uh, piece of red garter stitch. I don't know if this is a common experience, but I, f- I, found, I found that when I started knitting, I just could never trust that that last stitch at the end of a row that it was okay to just pop it off the needle. And so I think I always knitted into that several times just to make sure. So hence it ended up being yeah a big trapezoid shaped thing that started out was supposed to be a square and just got wider and wider because of my fear of popping off the last uh, stitch. It sounds like an advanced technique you tapped into very early on though. So Yeah, some kind of like magic triple increase or something. Fantastic. All right, so... To your work at the moment now, so your name, Knit Sonic, uh, derives from the craft, knitting obviously, and the sonic relating to sound, and your work uh, at the moment is the relation and combination of these two things. Um, how did these first two things blend together? Well, um, this is a kind of involved question, but I think the simplest answer is that um, Knit Sonic began when I was doing an MA in Sonic Art and Composition in Oxford and I had I'd moved to Oxford I didn't have any friends there and I was like where am I going to meet the quality women and uh and I saw that there was a a local knitting group so I joined that the the Oxford Blue Stockings knitting group who still meet uh, every week in Oxford and I so I was kind of studying sounds during the day on on this arts program and then I was knitting and I just started to think about how I could combine those things and I suppose there's always been uh, quite a feminist bent to my work as an artist and when I was an undergraduate I'd really enjoyed learning about uh, the feminist artists of the 1970s who did a lot of stuff around um, housework and childcare uh, for example, Mio Lederman Eucalys did this project called Maintenance Art, which was all about putting housework into the gallery. And, you know, when I first started looking into sound art, I felt like this side of things, domestic life, the sort of the, the politics of domestic life, if you like, the, the politics of housework, I just felt they were completely absent from sound art. Like it had happened in other mediums, like photography, and gallery installations, but not so much with sound. So I started doing lots of work recording domestic sounds. And I think the first sort of thing that I made that was really like a knit sonic thing was uh, like a giant speaker system. 
and it was 32 miniature speakers and each one of them was covered in hand knitting. All the wires were covered in hand knitting and uh, I played all these domestic field recordings uh, through it. So I started a PhD uh, looking at the domestic soundscape and presenting everyday sounds to audiences. Yeah, that, that knitted speakers piece, I think the things I liked most of all about it were the fact that first of all I'd kind of empowered myself to make a playback system um which was really liberating because I don't know how many sound art installations you've been to but but certainly in the early sort of 2000s there was like a lot of uh big chrome and black Genelec speakers arranged in a special configuration with a mixing desk and I was just like well I can't afford to make that actually um because I can't buy all those monitors and speakers and and there was something really liberating about just sitting there with a soldering iron and some little really cheap speakers from Maplin and building my sound system myself um which I'm sure every knitter can relate to that the pleasure of making your first kind of pair of socks and being like I understand how socks work now. It was kind of the same with the with the speaker system. So I liked that. And then I also liked the fact that where, how it kind of manifests is this huge tangle of little woolly speakers that hang at head height. And um, you kind of have to, they, they only play the sounds at quite a low level. And so you have to enter into the knitting and hold it up to your ear to properly hear the sounds. So, and it, unlike headphones where you sort of put them on and then you're kind of sealed away in your isolated listening spot this cloud of knitted speakers is a really like three or four people can go in at a time you can all listen together so it has this sort of social and fun aspect to it and then this empowerment of just making my own speakers so I think there was a few ideas there about gender and technology and um, kind of finding new ways of presenting sounds to audiences that I thought, oh, there's some there's some juice in this idea. I must continue to pursue it. So that's that's when I started my PhD. So these two things, I mean, obviously you've talked about them a little bit more. You can kind of connect them, but they do seem quite dif- different. The uh, sound and knitting. So why do you feel they work so well together? Is it actually because they're so different that you can kind of play against those opposites? I I think the thing is, once you find an obsession, you just have to keep going with it. And uh, and what I found is that since that first knitted speaker piece, you're quite right. People always say, I have knit Sonic sprayed on the side of my car. And the amount of people that are like, what is this? What does it mean? How do you kind of, you know, knitting and sound? That's that's not an obvious combination. Um but I found more and more ways to bring them together. I think just from keeping going with it, maybe to talk about uh, to talk about some other more specific examples. I met a shepherd in two thousand and seven, Julia Desh, who was the first shepherd who I ever met, and I was just staying on her farm and writing up my MA. And then, and it was quite. Uh, it was just by accident. I didn't realise that she had sheep and wool and this kind of thing. I just found a place to stay in the countryside to work on this massive write-up, and uh, and I got very interested in what she was doing with her with her sheep. And I sort of started asking her about it. And I, it was the first time that I, as a person who grew up in a city, um, had really understood. You know, there is a sheep in the field, and this ball of yarn comes from that sheep. 
And these garments, she's got these amazing examples in her in the wool room. You know, these garments come f- directly from this landscape, um, which really struck me as a super inspiring idea. And I was also a bit astounded that it was such a new idea to me. And I started really thinking, well, where do our clothes come from? And I decided to, I asked her, can I make a radio show with you? I want to record your sheep. I want to record the mill where your fleeces are spun. Uh, I want to record me knitting with the yarn and basically use sound to tell the whole story of uh, of kind of a garment. And I was really struck by how much you can say about wool and its origins in the landscape by using sound. And uh, I guess then in 2012, I I revisited my, my knitted speaker system that had formerly been covered in acrylic yarn playing uh, domestic sounds. And I, I stripped all of the covers off and I re-knitted, um, I re-knitted coverings made out of British wool and particularly wool from the Lakeland breeds. So like the Herdwick and Ruffell, the Swaledale. And I, and I interviewed shepherds and I recorded sheep from their flocks and I played the sounds of the Lake District um, wool growing in the field, so to speak, through these little knitted speakers. And I think um, in particular with that, it's like if you, I don't know if you've ever felt a rough fell fleece, but it's a very strong fleece and it has very long, thick, kempy fibres in it. And if you hold it up to your ear and pull it apart, you can hear the scratchiness of the texture and then if you go to the lake district and you go up on the high fell in january which is when i was there and you listen to the wind and you listen to the mud and the the kind of the sound of hooves on the wet ground then suddenly the strength of that fleece makes sense and so i think the sounds can be used to really really tell the story of something like that the provenance of wool in the landscape and um Bridget Kelly said a really nice thing about the refreshed uh knitted speakers she said it was like listening to wool which was exactly what I what I wanted it to be like and people were just it was very nice to watch people kind of come in go up to the speaker system hold the speaker to their ear and they and you know that they can hear the place where the wool in their hand has has grown from so and it would I don't know how else you could describe the texture of place um other than than with sound. So yeah, I think as I've kind of continued with the Knitsonic mission, there's a very strong um theme of texture and using sound to describe the texture of places. Uh, and also this idea, this nice lovely word yarns, which can be a yarn that you knit with, but it can also be stories, I think. The more that I've done my projects, the more I realise how important stories are in them. And there's often people talking in my work and not it's not just sounds. The sounds are there in as a kind of layer of storytelling. It's wonderful. So it's all like a whole sort of sensory experience with your work. That's the, that's the plan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So I wanted to talk about one of your more recent projects, uh, your book, Knit Sonic Stranded Colourwork Source Book. Um, yes. This, if you haven't seen this, it's an amazing kind of book exploring um, how you create colour work and giving people the tools to create their everyday inspirations. Um, and it mainly sort of focuses on using uh, very sort of 
you know, ordinary. Obviously, they're not ordinary when you kind of make them into an amazing colour work thing. Um, but taking these everyday sources to uh, make inspirational colour work, what source do you find yourself returning to most often? Um, well, I think th- there's a couple of things I like to say. Um, I think one of the things I try and get across in the book is the the richness of recording things. Um, it's not just acquisitive, like, let's find a pattern that we can use to make a thing but it's also about the the fun process of that um which really comes from my work with sounds I think and sort of standing there for 20 minutes recording the wind that place where where I've stood and and done that will never be the same again every time I walk past I think oh that's where I stood and recorded the wind and it's kind of like if you do that in your knitting by the time you've looked at something taken photos of it made a sketch done a drawing you've invested in it, you've made a nice relationship with it. And I really try and show that in in the book, the value of recording things. And in terms of the everyday inspirations, um, I just keep returning to the, the same things, like the, um, the A4074 road, which is the inspiration source for one of the swatches in the book. I made a radio show about that for BBC Oxford in 2010. And I have a whole hard drive of recordings of that road. So with the A4074 road, it's a 24-mile walk from one end to the other using the footpaths around it. And I've done that walk quite a lot of times, including right through the night, which was an amazing experience. And somehow that from doing that and making a radio show about it, from working on a swatch about it, the whole place is completely tattooed on my mind. And rather than be like... I have to find a new source of inspiration. I just have an instinct to return again and again to this road. So I'm hoping to go there and do the walk uh, for my birthday this year. So the A4074 road between Oxford and Reading, that's a definite constant source of inspiration. The brickwork of Reading, I am never, ever going to get bored of the brickwork of Reading. I keep finding like new patterns. That's another thing that's in the um, that's in the book. And it's just this amazing style of really ornate, elaborate, highly patterned brickwork just because of a happy coincidence of different kinds of clays and firing techniques in Victorian Reading. And I just love it. I I keep finding new variations on on these kind of brickwork themes. And if I'm ever feeling down, the instant solution, just go out with the camera, take pictures of the brickwork. It's just my favourite thing. Um, my little handheld recorder on which I am recording this interview, that is another inspiration source that's in the book. And I, I do, I'm i kind of I'm still thinking about, uh, well, I'm actually working on a podcast at the moment that's about the recorder and its role in my kind of creative process. And I, what I really love about that and what was surprising when I was working on the book is that it's such an uninspiring object in and of itself, just a little black plastic consumer electronics product. And I thought, oh God, am I really, am I going to find anything worth knitting in looking at this? And I came up with all these great motifs just from really looking at like a corner, the edge of a microphone, the glowing red record button when it's on. Um, And I found all these super patterns in it just from really looking at it. And I think that that made me kind of curious to do more things um, with the Ederol. I'm kind of curious to see how long it's going to last. It's made so many thousands of recordings. I'm dreading the day when it eventually dies. But um, yeah, so the Ederol is a constant. I keep returning to that. Um, 
yeah, I, I don't really, I tend to keep going with the same themes over and over again and just trying to refine what I'm doing with them. And I just love, I love normal, everyday, comforting, predictable, real reality. It's just my, my favourite place to work in. All right. So I read in, uh, that you wanted your book to be part of a great knitting tradition, sort of, uh, sort of classic styles that have kind of held up the test of time. Why was it important to share that process with people? So I think it's not so much that I wanted to be like a like some kind of I am the great creator of a great knitting tradition. That's that's not kind of what I mean by that at all. It's um it's more that um I can't really lay claim to a great knitting tradition in the way that some for example if you've grown up in Shetland you're like the knitting comes from my people. My people knit. This is a history of my people if you see what I mean. And and I feel like I can't lay claim to that because I'm not a Shetlander. Um, and the same with like the amazing tradition of say Harris Tweed. I'm not from Harris or Lewis and I don't. Uh, so I kind of think, um, I suppose I also thought about this when I was in Estonia and people in Estonia have a super, like there's a very embedded kind of region specific a set of ideas about clothes so if you're from a certain parish there are certain patterns you'll use there's certain colors you'll use in a in a striped skirt and this was kind of very popular in the 1800s but lots of people are sort of revisiting that now and kind of working back into that idea and being like well I'm from this village and this is the pattern that's particular to there and I was like well I can't I can't go back into a, a regional knitting tradition that I belong to and do that because I don't come from anywhere that has a kind of a region-specific knitting tradition. I'm really interested in making a process, a knitting process, that will allow people to make roots. So it's like my own version of a knitting tradition. It's like a way of interpreting the world around us in our knitting in a way that's specific to where we live. Is that sort of the main thing you hope people will take from the book? Well, there's that. There's the idea. I really hope people will enjoy that process of exploring their their neighbourhood with a fresh perspective and finding patterns that help there that help them to feel a bigger sense of connection where they live. But also, I just on a much more practical level, I just want the book to encourage people to take risks and to be creative with stranded colour work. And I wanted to supply really practical information on creative process and on translating the world into stranded colour work. And yeah, I hope that the swatching system will help people to turn kind of vague ideas or impulses into solid workable motifs, themes, colours, patterns. So yeah, it's supposed to be very empowering and very practical. (laughs) I like that. It's good. Yeah, it is. (laughs) All right. So tell us more about Wovember. Um, so I already spoke about meeting Julia Desch in 2007 and that was super important for me because she really opened my eyes to the massive gap between producers and consumers of wool. And she sort of, from her, I learned that many fleeces were being burned, that lots of the wool on sale in kind of yarn shops is not produced in the UK, that many UK sheep are bred purely for meat, that the quality largely has gone out of a lot of wool and all of that is a little bit less true now because bear in mind this was 
2007 and the price of wool is is rising because of the campaign for wool um and with my friends who knit we we talked a lot about this kind of stuff about the plight of shepherds the provenance of wool um people trying to make a living from growing and selling wool and i think it was 2011 my friend kate published a post about the misdescribing of non woolen garments as as being wool um like people marketing woolly jumpers that are purely made of acrylic and something inside me just kind of snapped and i felt really angry um and articulate about the specific problem of people cashing in on the image and the romantic associations of wool having not done any of the work that is involved in actually producing real wool from a you know a messy hungry um difficult animal a sheep you know so uh, so Kate and I started Wovember in 2011 with the aim to highlight what wool is what makes it special and all the work and labor um and the traditions that are that are associated with wool fantastic well we've talked a lot about animals as in mainly sheep but uh, our most important question in the podcast of course is what is your spirit animal <laughs> oh that's really difficult because i really i i have a great love for many many animals um so i don't know i, I have a real thing about weasels i just love weasels they're like they're voracious they have extreme amounts of energy um and they're just so they just seem extremely exuberant and uh <laughs> and kind of the way they move is is very frenetic i relate to their they seem over caffeinated in some way <laughs> which i kind of which i which i sort of relate to but i also have a real place in my heart for the herdwick sheep breed in particular just because when i was interviewing shepherds in cumbria about the herdwick they i kept coming across these accounts of people um I don't know if you've heard of the heft, but where you've got common land, basically the sheep from all the different shepherds who graze there are hefted to a particular part of the common land. So sheep will remember where they spent their first summer as a lamb and they they have an instinct to return to that place. They have a really... And and when you talk about hefted stock, you're talking about sheep that know their own place on the hill. And I just kept hearing these heartbreaking stories when I was doing my interviews in Cumbria of people moving Herdwick sheep out of the Lake District and then the sheep escaping and dying on their quest to get back to their place on the hill. And that instinct for home and that sense of being so super connected to one place um that that really spoke to me so weasels and herdwicks there you go i did sort of sense there might be a sheep based one in there for you but we haven't had weasels before i did like i I like that (laughs) weasels all right and then our next uh question is if you're cast upon desert isle and you're only allowed to take one yarn with you you're allowed unlimited supply in all the colors what would you choose so if i was only allowed to take one yarn and just one ball of it, I would take Julia Desch's Wensleydale yarn because it was so, uh, because because I discovered so much about wool that's been really important to me when I saw her yarn. But if I was allowed unlimited colours, it just have to be Jameson and Smith two-ply Shetland jumper weight. 
It's my very favourite yarn. And then I could knit um, stranded colour work based on all aspects of the of the desert island. Ah, perfect. Yeah. How do you think you'd fare on the desert isle then? I'd be very happy because I'd just be uh, I'd be I'd be making swatches based on the palm trees, and uh, yeah, and the fishes and the shells. There would be so much. There would be so much to translate into stranded colour work. It would uh, it would feel like home in no time. Wonderful. All right. Well, thanks for chatting to us. Oh, you're very well. Thanks for having me on the Pomcast. So if people want to keep up to date with your work and what you're up to, where should they go? Uh, they can go to knitsonic.com and that is spelt with a K at the end, um, not a C, knitsonic. And they can also go to thedomesticsoundscape.com forward slash WordPress. And that's kind of my, that's a bit more of just like a super personal diary of all the stuff I'm up to. The everyday, the lovely, dull, everyday wonderfulness gets put there. Whereas the Knit Sonic website is a bit more, here's my podcast, here's an art show I'm doing. Something for everyone to look at then. Exactly, yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Bye. And if places were graded and sorted for their wool, then Shetland would be an ace, one star and four marks. And I am so happy to be here to share this wonderful textile that we should all wear. So thanks for Felix. What a lovely, interesting lady. She is wonderful. Thanks to um, her for letting us use some of her sounds that she's recorded. Uh, one of them especially that you heard at the very end was her Shetland Wool Week song uh, for 2013 which we mentioned in the interview you can Mm -hmm. actually find that on YouTube if you kind of we'll we'll put a link to that if you want to listen to the whole thing because it's good fun (laughs) yeah so thanks again to Felix for being a superstar and joining us here on the podcast and letting us use her fab sounds that she's worked so hard to collect super turbo yeah super turbo Felix that's what she uses like turbo (laughs) (laughs) alright so moving on to Ravelry Realness the realest place we check Ravelry, so you guys don't have to. <laughs> so in the kind of theme of Lee Meredith using those all those colours and scraps, we thought Ravelry Realness could be about stripes slash scraps. Yeah, so projects that use up your scraps of yarn, and often these projects involve stripes because hey. stripes can be scraps and yes. scraps can be stripes. And this is the relationship between them. There's like an arrow with two ends. We do a whole Venn, di- <laughs> Venn diagram and like... <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of uh, intermingling of those two themes. So that's what we've gone for today. And right, what you got, Soph? So this is both reading for our technical notes. We can be like, well, I always love it. Do you like it on radio shows where you can hear them like... Like like, reading? No, when they're like going through emails and then you hear them going to go, finish the email. They're like, whatever, done with that email. So we're just rustling through our notes. Very efficient, very efficient. All right, so one thing I found, which, because I think sometimes it's difficult to get scrap projects which sometimes can look I don't know the best way to describe it scrappy mm, yeah you don't want it to look too scrappy because mm-hmm. then you can kind of look mm. like like you didn't think it through yeah and sometimes that's fine yeah sometimes I didn't think things through sometimes <laughs> I just needed to go to the shop in my pyjamas with my coat over the top but <laughs> and then I accidentally bumped into somebody you haven't seen yeah. for ages and they're like you wear your pyjamas and I was like I just need milk and I'm sorry <laughs> Sunday morning <laughs> But sometimes, you know, I'll put earrings on. I don't know. You kind of get where we're going with this. Anyway, so one of the things I found, which was very elegant and charming, was the three-colour cowl by Yogi Locatelli, who we interviewed a couple of podcasts ago. We did. She is fab. So I wouldn't initially think of this as a scrap project, but she uses three colours, and of each of those three colours, you only need 200 yards. 
Ooh, nice. So, like, total of, like, at least, you know, I'm going to jump between the metric and imperial here. At least 549 metres in total. Mm. And I think one of the nice things you can do with that, if you've maybe used, like, half a skein or a third of a skein for something like a project like some socks or a shawl, Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the nicest ways to kind of combine those stripes together Mm -hmm. for a cow. So I really like that one. Um... Also, another cool one was the Ten Stitch Blanket by Frankie Brown, which is free, by the way. Ooh. So that's kind of based on Elizabeth Zimmerman pattern. We all love her. She's great. Um, and the idea is you only, when you're doing a blanket, you can imagine you're casting on like a ten bajillion stitches. Yeah. And like knitting and knitting and knitting, which is great for scraps of blankets and stuff like that. But this, you're only working ten stitches at a time and you're actually going oh. around in a spiral. So it's kind of, oh. you're kind of working on the edge. You, there's no yeah. sewing or anything, but you're kind of picking the stitches up as you go. Cool. And then you could even work for, like, I think it'd be good for, like, light to dark. And you could mm-hmm. kind of get, like, a really nice kind of gradient going. I mean, even if it's not all the same colours, but you can kind of go from maybe cool to warm, kind of with your yeah. tones and colours. <gasps> so fun, like, lining them out beforehand, like, when I arrange yeah. my nail varnish. Put them all in colour order. <laughs> <laughs> um, another theme on scraps. I was doing, this isn't, like, a project as such, but more of, like, a setup of stash, even. Mm. So Clara Parks... We interviewed her as well. She's so great. <laughs> We're biased about all these people we're choosing. Like, oh, <laughs> they're all so great. And we talked to them. They, well, they let us talk to them. Maybe. Yeah. Um, she has this thing called the magic ball. Do you know about this? I do not. So it's the idea that you can grab all your yarns, like scrap yarns of like similar. Maybe you want to go for like similar similar textures or mm-hmm. similar colors, and then basically you lay them all out and you arrange them, and then you can grab like maybe just a meter of one, tie it in wrap it around and then you kind of pull another one like oh I want a little bit of this but a different length Hmm. and basically you pull all these yarns kind of putting them together so you basically you're putting them together to kind of create one massive ball of your stash that you can then knit from whoa yeah and there's a lot of the ways that like case facet works sort of like pulling all the different threads together to make it like amazing multi-tonal waistcoats and stuff like that so that's what kind of the inspiration she's pulling Mm. on so yeah you have different lengths and different strands tie these all together and she was saying it's great for like pillowcases and stuff like that because then you can make sure all your ends are like pointing inwards yes so you don't have to worry about threading them in because oh man would there be a lot of threads to sew in but then i've also seen like um mittens done with it as well and if they're odd all odd colors then you don't have a pair of matching mittens so stuff gets lost you can just do it Again, and if the Ooh. all the threads are on the inside, then that's kind of all right, I it's guess. It's like thrumming. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like thrumming, yeah. So. <laughs> that's that's like, awesome. So, yeah, that that's pretty cool. I thought that was, like, if you have, like, stuff that even, like, cut off ends from projects. Yeah. They're a little bit too long, but you're like, well, what am I going to do with this? But you can't bear to throw it away, because why waste things? Mm-hmm. Magical. Make to amend. Very cool. Yes. Well, I have here um, the Babette Blanket. Oh, that's a nice one. Which is a crochet blanket. So, I mean, crochet blankets, like little blanket square, you know, motif blankets, um, they're kind of classic from the scrap using. Oh, of course. The land of scrap using. Yeah. Which we're currently residents of. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a particularly lovely one. And it's got kind of squares of all different kind of sizes. Mm. And there's a really beautiful example of that at Loop, of course. And Megan has made a really gorgeous version, which I'm sure we'll be able to get some pictures of to show you guys. It's so pretty. I did start, I I do have like a stash of crochet squares that I'm hoping will one day become a blanket. Um, I'll just kind of do one every now and then when I'm not sure what else to get on with. Oh really? I didn't know you did that. Yes. Mm. Yes. I'm a woman of many mysteries. You're a man of many (laughs) mysteries as well. (laughs) I am also a man of many mysteries. That was the main mystery. I didn't see coming (laughs) at all. 
And I was also thinking that the Arionette socks from um, our autumn issue from last year, um, the originals are like in pink, orange and blue. Mm. And it's kind of like a slip stitch design. You would need like, you know, they're not like teeny scraps, but small amounts of sock yarn because you could even have them mismatched. That's okay. Socks, yeah. you know. And it's, yeah, they would be really, really good. And I also was browsing through Rav, as I do on occasion, <laughs> and found a really beautiful version of the Vitsipa hat from um, Spring, which is also Hohi Locatelli, um, the design that she did for, for us for our Spring issue. And mm. Crafty Sarah Ashley has Hi. done an amazing version where, where sort of it's a colourwork hat and she's done, like, the background is all the same, but the colourwork, each kind of motif i suppose is different oh. so it's really pretty and i was thinking that would be a fun way to use up scraps would be to to use them in color work motifs nice. cool well i also did fall, fall down the rabbit hole of tiny cute animal things that have been made on ravelry which i think is another ravelry realness all in itself yeah but i agree i don't know i don't know how to save this because it's so good now just do one Oh god, which one do I choose? Should we just keep them on tenterhooks for next week? I think I'm going to have to, because some of them are so good. Okay, so you know what it's going to be, guys? The Ravelry realness for next time. It's going to be tiny cute things. (laughs) Tiny things. Tiny knitted things. Okay, well that pretty much wraps up that Ravelry realness. Ravelry is what? Fundamental. that can only mean one thing we're now at top three top three and what's our top three this week podcasts whoa a bit meta meta yes (laughs) talking about podcasts on podcasts so we recommended this by Moni's Cookies Mooney's Cookies yeah one of our um, lovely people who chats in our Ravelry group yep so thank you you're from Manchester so if that's you that's who you are (laughs) and Gemma V Jimav yeah. I'm going to pronounce it a weird way again. <laughs> Both of you said, I think someone else even, which I couldn't find, I was going, scrolling back to the history of uh, the forums, recommended podcast. And they said knitting or non-knitting, and we've gone for non-knitting. Yeah, we've decided to go for non-knitting for this, for the purposes of this particular top three. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to start? Uh, yes. I feel you have a more comprehensive list. I feel you're going to be, like, really out there and cool with all your podcast recommendations. I don't recommendations. think I am. I don't think I am, because I think... Anyway, we'll get to that in a moment. Right, well, but I'm going to preface this with... My friends are so sick of me because nine out of ten sentences that I start start with, I listened to this really interesting podcast, or I heard this really great thing on a podcast, or have you heard this podcast, or podcasts are so great, I love podcasts. I don't so, know what you're talking about, Lydia. <laughs> no, you don't talk about podcasts all the time. No, I'm basically completely addicted to podcasts. I can't do anything without listening That's to them. That's good. Well, who it's do you really want good. making your podcast for you than a complete podcast geek exactly and that's me so i found this really i think i found this more difficult in some ways than the book one. Oh, really okay no i've definitely read way more books probably someone was telling me that podcasts are the new blogs i think they are okay. i think they're the future <laughs> we are the future Sophie. <laughs> anyway back to the top three so this was really difficult for me okay and i just want to say to all the podcasts i listen to that i love you all equally and that it was a really hard decision and <laughs> that it doesn't reflect me not liking you Okay, so at number three, mm-hmm. I have put Answer Me This. Okay, good. Tell because people about Answer Me This. Answer Me This is a very funny podcast. It was one of the first... I mean, it's like eight years old now or something. It's been yeah. going no, for a long five. time. Five. Maybe? Mm. Anyway, at least it's, 300 episodes plus. Yeah, they've been going for a long time. And it's Helen Zaltzman and Ollie Man and Martin the Soundman. And they are funny. And they have lots of good jingles. 
and I've chosen this as my number three because they make me laugh and I feel that this is a positive thing. <laughs> They're definitely worth it for the fun jingles. Yeah. I'm sure Sophie would agree. I'd agree. Very good at jingles. So that's uh, that's number three. <sighs> number two was really difficult. I've gone with 99% Invisible. Oh, I haven't heard of this one. So what? you are using cool ones now. Sophie! So 99% Invisible is presented by Roman Mars. And oh, that's no, his real have... name! <laughs> okay, so you know you were saying you're one of those people who talks about podcasts and then you're always like... Listen to this one, listen to this one. There's so many that Lydia recommends to me that I can't keep on top of them. But now she's talking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and the most exciting, one of the fun facts that we learned at the podcasting thing we went to. Oh yeah, we learned how to be good podcasters. We learned that, so that's why I was so good at it. So, um, <laughs> is that Roman Mars records um, his podcast with two shotgun mics pointed at him. So he sounds like he's like directly inside your brain. It's very good. But it's basically a podcast about invisible design in everyday life. So it's like the broadest of themes. Um, and they're quite short episodes. They're like 20 minutes normally, mm. so quite kind of bite-sized. And they cover just so many different topics. So some of my favourites have been, they did a topic on like the design of the dollar in okay. the US and like the history of it. And I found that really, really interesting. And they did one on barbed wire, which is one of the best, like most interesting stories I've ever heard. It was really fascinating. And there was also one on billiard balls okay so it's all these like little kind of it sounds like i like this one actually yeah, yeah and it's like design in the broadest sense and it's, it's very clever because they've chosen a theme that basically encompasses everything but means that they have a particular angle on everything mm-hmm. they're looking at it from the perspective of how and why it was designed that way in some capacity um i think they've been doing it for quite a while and it's quite a well-known one i think but it's just brilliant it's really really good i think it's like weekly maybe so it's quite satisfying mm. um so that comes highly recommended from okay. Lydia. And at number one, it couldn't be any other. It had to be Radiolab. <laughs> I, I thought Radio you were going to say the number one that I was going to say, and now you haven't. My heart's broken. <laughs> oh, no, we don't love each other as much no. as we thought we did. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to qualify this. Okay. As we always do. We don't yeah. just read out a list and then be like, bye, everyone. <laughs> I chose Radiolab because Radiolab is the first podcast I started listening to. And um, it has what some of the best episodes, I think, of a podcast. It might not have the same longevity as something like This American Life or 99% Visible. even. I don't think it's nearly as old as This American Life, but it has, like... Um, I don't, longevity isn't the word I'm looking for. Like, consistency. I don't think Radiolab is consistent, but I think that when Radiolab gets it right, it's the best. It's my favourite. It's the one that has moved me the most. And I've learned the most from. And I just love Jad and Robert so much. And when I finally saw pictures of them, I was like, I love you so much. <laughs> so, like, my dream is to be able to, like, see them live one day. And, you know, because they do those kind of live events. Yeah. Um, yeah. It couldn't be any other, really. Wow. <sighs> well, so emotional about Radio I was going to say, yeah. You were... <laughs> okay. All right. So Sophie, go. I like podcasts, but I don't think... I can't, you know, maybe I don't want to be as, like, involved with podcasts as you are. And I actually, for this podcast, I listened to loads of new podcasts to see if I could find, like, a new favourite. And I'm not, you know, I'm not there as I am with you with these, like, you haven't found my ones yet. Mm-hmm. But the ones I do love, I love. Okay. okay if that makes sense. Yes. So number three, I'd go with the back episodes of Desert Island Discs. <gasps> that Kirsty almost Young. made it on my list, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so kind of basically where we take our desert island yarn from <laughs> so yeah if you haven't heard listen to this it's kirsty young who has the most beautiful uh soft 
Sonorous voice? Is yeah. that the word I want? Yeah, she's oh, good. She's great. And she interviews, like, everyone from, like, Stephen Fry to, like... Jarvis Cocker. Jarvis Cocker. Like, I can't Famous. A lot of them are people you might not have heard of because they're, like, very famous and eminent, like, biologists. Yeah, or, like, yeah, like, surgeons or something. It's mm. just the most, like, incredible stories about people's lives. And she kind of has this amazing, like, she kind of extracts all the story from them. And she's like, oh, and then you were a teenager in Zimbabwe. And then what happened there? And they're like, oh, yes. And then here's this song that reminds me of them. So you not only do you get this amazing playlist. So they always play, like, great music. Mm. Um, but, yeah, you get this whole insight into someone's life and... People you, yeah, like people you never think to like maybe research or even you yeah. know about. Yeah. And I remember as a kid, I always thought it was really boring because people would choose classical music. But now, mm. even then, like maybe I'm grown up slightly that I can be like, mm, <laughs> yes, excellent. Really good. I mean, for people who aren't familiar with the back catalogue of the BBC, Desert Island Discs will be going for like 50 years yeah. or something. And the premise is that you have to choose eight discs for your Desert Island. Yep. And now it's a podcast and you can listen to all of them. So that's great. Yeah, so that's great something to tap into. So Mm -hmm. yeah, definitely recommend that. Number two would be Answer Me This because you've already said what we've already talked about that. But I don't think we explained what it was but basically Answer Me This is where you they get people to send in questions. Some of them are like really serious like, you know, if you... I can't think of any of them now. Well, often they'll be like sort of like emotional, difficult things. Yeah, like I lost my job and now I split off with my boyfriend. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> and then some of them are like, one of them was like, should I like quit my job and pull all my money into making Jurassic Park the ballet? And then they like, they do a lot of research and they yeah. kind of like, well, we found like this thing and then we think you should do this or we read about that. And yeah, they're just like, they've got good rapport. They're two friends who like, know each other from uni and then one of them was like ollie was like let's make a podcast and yeah and was like okay yeah and, and that's what they do that's now. what they do now so yeah. yeah when we actually went we actually went to this podcasting thing to learn how to be podcasters one of the things she actually said was like oh with your name like don't make any pun on the word podcast and i was like oh <laughs> like we already did that damn it <laughs> rule number one broken failed being podcasters <laughs> yeah but they've answered some pretty some pretty great ones yeah, and they're very, very funny, so you should definitely... Witty. Witty. And both of them have other podcasts that yes. they're in. Yeah, so... This is the podcast wormhole. Yeah, so Rabbit Helen hole. Zaltzman's is The Illusionist, and she mm-hmm. kind of talks about the sources of words and, like, the etymology of that, which is very interesting. And I've gotten the name... Ollie the... Mann is the, like, presenter for the media podcast. Yes. Um, which is, if you're into the media, it's very, very interesting. There we go. All right, <gasps> number so one. I'm excited about her number one. All is right. it podcast? <laughs> that would be so... And I was like, I'm going to talk about this great knitting podcast. No, because remember, the rule is we're not talking about knitting podcasts this one. Oh, right. So I feel like I should do it like yours. And I was like, oh, so there couldn't be any other one. And it would be the Adam and Joe podcast. Lydia is now like holding her head in her hands because she forgot that one. You know how I forgot it? It's because for some reason I was looking through my podcast app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I must have Tell me the excuse. deleted it because I've already listened to them so many times that I'd run out of space on my phone and I was trying to make space <sighs> in the interim. Goes. I love you, Adam and Joe. All right. Adam and Joe, if you haven't listened to them before, they're not on the radio as much. They used to be six music DJs and they used to be on XFM as well. Yeah, before that. Uh-huh. Years before that, they used to have a television program on channel four which would never get made now which would never get made now it's so like wonky in Ridiculous. places it's worth watching though i think it might even be it's, it's on 4od it's on 4od yeah on internet yes adam and joe i don't know how you forgot this because i think adam and joe are the reason we do podcasting i don't know how i i think it's because i don't i almost don't think of it as a podcast because it's just like, your friends kind of or because it's a radio show or something i don't know i don't know how i missed that 
Yeah. But yeah, you're right. They're the, they're the thing that made me really, really love listening to podcasts. But yeah. Ooh. Sorry, you have to go and explain now. All it's right. Adam and Joe are basically are two friends who are like, they've been known each other for, since they were very young yeah. and they've kind of done like, uh, like I said, television shows and radio shows. But the podcast I listen to most is their kind of, it's from 2011. It's kind of their archived um, radio shows they used to do on Saturday morning uh, on Six Music. Um, and I didn't actually listen to Adam Joe on that radio. I think I caught maybe one or two, mm. but I never kind of fell like madly for them, like because they are so funny. If you yeah. like sillies, they are your men. But no, we shouldn't make people listen to them because then we won't be as funny in comparison. <laughs> yeah, because you might just draw parallels and <laughs> copy from them. They are so good, and they went to school with Louis Theroux. <laughs> I know. Yeah, so they they're was. kind of. They do lots of silly jingles and they basically get people to write in and tell them silly things, which I think is 90% of their charm. But also they're just two friends who are having an amazingly funny time. Um, it is dangerous. You can't listen to this podcast when you're in public sometimes because I have been on like trains, like doubled over, like holding giggling. my stomach. Yeah. <sighs> See, whereas I get with Radiolab, there's been times where I was like crying because oh, it was so moving but I'm not sure that I oh, it's too late I've chosen my top three it's too late too late anyway so that's what we'd recommend um, yeah so and we'd love to hear your recommendations yeah. as with of course our new movie club and book club where we get like all these amazing I recommendations know. from you guys so we'd love to hear what podcasts you listen to as well I feel I want to talk about Adam and Joe more because I just love them so much but I know me too and then we can do like skits we can uh, reenact them but not Right now, not, not right for you guys, now. Cause... No, maybe we'll just later, just like lie somewhere and just laugh about Adam and Joe and just being like, <laughs> oh, remember that? Anyway, anyway, this is getting weird. We've had too much smoothie. I'm getting all excited. All right. Well, speaking of podcasts, if you did like this one, uh, you can rate us on iTunes. You sure can, and we would like it if you did. <laughs> I was like, we'd like you if you gave us a high rating. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and you can always keep up to date with what we're doing and what other people are doing and chatting about on the Ravelry forums. There's a pom-pom group there, so we'd like to see you there. Um, yeah, yeah, and you, you can always email us, yeah. podcast at pompommag.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have any like fun stories or suggestions. I mean, of course, you can post them in the group. But if Sometimes you, s- you have a lengthy story. Yeah, sometimes you can email them also. Yeah, and we will most likely read them out if they're good (laughs) alright guys thanks for listening we'll see you next time bye Bye. Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott with lots of help from Eli Block who created the original music for this show for more Eli related music go to goodgirlandthebadtimes.com Many thanks to Felicity Ford for being our interviewee and letting us use her Shetland Wool Week song. Big thanks as always to Megan, the co-founder and editor of Pom Pom. Thanks again to Yarn in the City for sponsoring this podcast. And of course, we'd like to say a big thank you to all you Pom Pom buyers, subscribers, and now listeners. Woo-hoo. Woo! Send any feedback or suggestions to podcast at pompommag.com. And don't forget to join our thread on the Pom Pom Ravelry group. 